0: Now, I have to start with a um, caveat that uh, I would much prefer to give a a talk about something different. Um, I would like to talk to you about, uh, for instance, uh, my work in the archives, ongoing work, um, for a historian of the Holocaust uh, uh, to talk about challenges and threats uh, to our discipline uh, is something, of course, painful uh, and something we would rather not do. Uh, Nevertheless, um, as uh, I hope I will be able to convince you uh, during the time that has been allocated to me, um, uh, you will also appreciate that uh, the case, that the situation is uh, fairly dire and that the title that you see on the screen, Holocaust History Under Siege, is actually not uh, overstating overstating uh, the case um, now um, i don 't want to sound very melodramatic however, um, from day to day unfortunately, uh, the realities of uh, political and uh, uh, cultural, if we can risk this expression life, um, force us to react uh, sometimes with horror or with disgust to um, tendencies, to processes, to events which surround us. Um, now, <clears throat> what you see here on the uh, on the screen um, is a, an image um, from Kalisz. Kalisz is a mid-sized town in central western Poland where um, uh, six days ago, a large uh, in the hundreds, a group of uh, nationalists uh, came together and uh, for four hours, four hours uh, chanted death, kill the Jews, death to Jews, uh, and uh, um, things that you can hear read. For instance, here today we cancel the Jewish rites on our sacred ground. Now, it's actually, you might say, nothing special there are extremists uh, uh, all around Uh, the difference here is that you have a major event which lasts four hours with police presence without any reaction Uh, and uh, the uh, second important thing is that uh, this situation occurs in poland a place uh, land which uh, which saw the death of five million of six million of uh, victims of the Holocaust. Now, what you see here as well on this this picture is uh, um, a process of burning. Now, uh, once again, as scholar of the Holocaust, uh, burning of uh, scriptures uh, fills me with uh, dread, fills me with... with, uh, Anxiety and fear. Uh, Now the nationalists who converged on Kalish six days ago burned a document dated 1264. A document so-called it is so-called privilege given by Prince Bolesław the Pious to Jews in 1264, promising Jews a degree of uh, independence or liberties um, in. Part of Poland. To have a crowd burn a document from 1264 in 2021 takes a stretch of imagination. Uh, once we get to that point, uh, it means that we indeed are, uh, are, facing, are facing a problem. Furthermore, furthermore, as I mentioned, Poland is a place which has a special obligation, special obligation due to the fact that Holocaust in part, large part occurred on Polish territory and that the nation of Polish Jews, uh, Polish citizens, has been destroyed in that event. So uh, we need to now uh, reflect, and this will be the topic of my uh, my lecture, reflect upon processes which I will discuss in the context of Poland, but by no means it's limited to Poland. Uh, What I am describing today is a process of uh, challenging of the memory of the Holocaust, which is more generalized. It is something that occurs across Central and Eastern Europe to a various degree. Now the problem is, uh, as you, as you know, that uh, very often on the right, especially right uh, wing or side of the political spectrum, Holocaust has been denied. Here we are not talking about Holocaust denial which we know much about, which we know how to counter, which actually does, is not so prevalent or so dangerous. We are talking about far more insidious challenge, which is called Holocaust distortion. I will get to it in a moment. But before, before we um, come to it, let me share a few more uh, words of introduction. So why Poland were for instance, as I mentioned, um, the, the the issue is with the, uh, with the territory on which Holocaust happened. And second, I my professional life is based in Canada and in Poland, that's where my archives are. And that's where I encountered some of the problems which struck me as important enough to share them uh, with you today. So, moving ahead, we have um, a problem for certain. Now, last August, August 2021, I quote a document, um, the Israeli foreign ministry issued a statement. I quote, "Uh, We are holding intensive talks with the U.S. administration on the possible courses of action, following the Polish legislation that borders on Holocaust denial. We will not remain silent on the issue. Poland cannot continue to damage the memory of the Holocaust and its victims." Now, the US State Department chimed in and added on August 11 this year, I quote, "'We are deeply concerned that Poland's parliament passed legislation that severely restricts the process of Holocaust survivors uh, and." Their families, as well as our other Jew, Jewish and non-Jewish property owners, to obtain restitution. Uh, soon after, Israel recalled um, its ambassador from Warsaw and requested that Warsaw um, call back uh, its ambassador from Israel, and that's what happened. The Two countries, uh, two countries, uh, lowered their diplomatic over the Holocaust issue. Lowered their diplomatic representation below the level of chargé d'affaires. Now, these are just uh, symptoms of a disease, symptoms of a malaise, which I will try to to tell you more about. So, in in 2015, uh, the Polish national elections brought to power a party, which is in Polish called Prawo i Sprawiedliwość, which translates in English into law and, um, law and justice. Uh, now, this is a bit of an ironic uh, name for a party, that has, uh, let's say, led a relentless attack against the judiciary, independent judiciary over last year, a party that obsessed with destroying the foundations of independent judiciary and slowly dismantling or rather quickly dismantling the fundamental components of a democratic uh, system. Now, uh, so the judges became the targets, uh, as became the journalists. However, historians were also targeted. And uh, the obsession that the nationalists have in defending so-called good name of the nation uh, made history uh, one of the most internationally, let's say, recognized areas of confrontation. And this is for me extremely painful because there is nothing more I'm troubling for a historian to be forced out in a way that I am right now. As I mentioned, I would much rather prefer to talk to you about the dynamics of life in open ghettos or closed ghettos. However, here I am, I'm uh, trying to defend what I think needs to be defended. So, so Holocaust research, Holocaust studies, Holocaust educators uh, found themselves at the very heart of the struggle. Well, uh, what you see in Poland is proliferation of the word, word national. Um, and uh, narodowy, national in Polish, has a bit of different meaning and flavor than its its, uh, English equivalent. Uh, Narodowy means uh, it is very much an ethnic uh, here. Um, Narod is ethnically uh, construed, uh, especially in Eastern Europe. Um, So what you have is sudden proliferation uh, in Poland of uh, national foundation, national media, national... Um, national this, national that. I remember when I was a young man many, many years ago in Poland uh, as a student under communism. Mm-hmm. There was a joke that we uh, used to tell that there is something called, we call obliterating adjective. Uh, namely, the communist authorities slapped always socialist. If they said, for instance, socialist justice, it meant no justice. Uh, if they said socialist democracy, it meant no democracy. This is something we called obliterating adjective. Uh, so, this national, let's say, national media today, means that they are party media. Uh, So this kind of history comes back with with a vengeance. So what we are facing now here, why this struggle against or with history in Poland? Once again, similar things happen in Turkey or in Russia on a much more serious scale. But once again, my experience is in Poland, and that's where the focus will uh, will be. Uh, so, as I mentioned, pure and undiluted, um, Holocaust uh, denial is uh, something that we sort of know how to deal with, but what we see in Poland is a new, perhaps not entirely new, but fairly new uh, phenomenon, which is called uh, which is called uh, the Holocaust Distortion. Now, what is a holo- what's this Holocaust Distortion? It means that uh, the authorities or adherents of this particular um, attitude, they do not deny the factuality of uh, the event. They say, yes, the Jews have been murdered in Europe. However, what they, <clears throat> what they do deny <clears throat> with vehemence is that their own national group, ethnic group, that their people had anything to do with the deed, that it was Germans and Germans, or Austrians, if you will, alone. I would like here to, to um, add a definition offered by uh, by Efrain Zurov of the Wiesenthal uh, Center in Jerusalem. And I quote him, he said, the attribution... The main characteristic of this distortion of the Holocaust, which corrodes, uh, let's say, thinking in Poland and in Eastern Europe, is a quote, um is the attribution of holocaust crimes entirely to german nazis as opposed to locals the exaggeration of the number and of and scope of the assistance provided by local righteous gentiles and attempts to claim that the only local participants in holocaust crimes were criminals or totally peripheral elements of the society <clears throat> Now, here I would like you to, and some of you might not be familiar with the expression uh, righteous Gentiles. So righteous Gentiles are people who have been recognized by Yad Vashem Center in Jerusalem Institute as people who saved or tried to rescue the Jews at great personal risk without monetary benefits. Um, and uh, so these are the righteous Gentiles. Uh, and this uh, uh, definition by Ephraim sort of, in a short, summarizes the um, Polish problem with the Holocaust. And this is an inability, or lack of will, to recognize that uh, certain segments of the Polish society, definitely not this tiny criminal margin, um, took part in the German, I stress, German genocidal project, that this hard-suffering Polish society, and there is no doubt that Polish society was hard-suffering, exposed to extraordinary levels of terror by German occupant, that the same society or parts of the same society could, at the same time, engage in victimizing another, even more fragile and helpless group of their co-citizens, in this case, the Jews. Now, the this this distortion. Uh, implies that we will not discuss the thousands and uh, and thousands of Poles who took part in a robbery, massive robbery of Jewish property, who took part in liquidations of the ghettos, bloody affairs, who then uh, took part in hunting down Jews looking for for shelter. Now, the problem is that here we are moving into so-called so-called holocaust envy one more term which which i have to share with you um, which means that in certain societies and it's not only poland actually it's quite visible in the ukraine in lithuania um, uh, there is this attempt to bring your own suffering to the level of uh, the Jewish suffering during the war. So what you have here is uh, books like Polish Holocaust, Little Holocaust. Uh, I remember going a few days ago in Warsaw from one area, one borough, as you say in London, from one borough of Warsaw to another. Crossing, there is a tunnel. And on the side of this tunnel, there is a Commemorative plaque which reads This tunnel has been used by the Germans during the war as a gas chamber to gas 200,000 Poles. Now, this is simply not true. There was no gas chamber. There were no two hundred thousand victims. But there is a great need. There is a great need to elevate your own suffering to the level of the Jewish suffering. Now, <clears throat> I remember that few uh, weeks ago, months ago, I'm sorry, I um, I wrote an article in which I suggested. That uh, in Poland people should come to terms with the fact that, ex- that extermination camps were not for Poles, that extermination camps were for the Jews. Um, I was actually reported to the authorities for slandering the good name of the Polish nation. Go figure. Um, uh, there are cases now of people being actually prosecuted um, in, according to the laws of criminal prosecution for stating the truth, that the extermination camps were not for Poles. Extermination camps were for the Jews. So uh, this whole problem revolves around uh, something that uh, my dear friend and colleague Yehuda Bauer um, uh, uh, termed or named a need to create usable past. Holocaust has become so important in European historical consciousness that you have somehow to domesticate it, you have somehow to build this Holocaust into your uh, national history. Now, in Poland, this is important because the authorities and large chunks of the Polish society are devoted to protecting myth of national innocence. Something I call the myth of national innocence. So how it's being done, it's being done by this relentless stressing of the role of the rescue attempts by the Poles of the Jews during the war. And unfortunately, this is a fallacy. This is not true. There were people who saved the Jews, there were people who tried to rescue the Jews, but they were a tiny, tiny minority. And this minority, these righteous Poles, were most of all deadly afraid not of the Germans, who were far away, who didn't have a simple clue where to find the hidden Jews, but of their own neighbors who had a very good clue and who, uh, who knew very well where to look uh, for these hidden people. Now, you can say that being a Pole who rec- rescued the Jews during the war has been the most difficult and most dangerous kind of uh, consp- conspiracy you can imagine. Um, uh, so this is something that, uh, that today, uh, today the authorities will never admit. And actually, they, s- they sell a lie, which is a very sweet tasting lie and uh, for instance uh, when i once again when i was in a communist school as i was a pupil we were being taught that uh, soviet union is the best country in the world well we knew it was not true nobody swallowed this kind of uh, food however if you are being told that uh, your family, your nation, your tribe has always held high moral ground, you are quite likely to swallow it and to uh, taste it. It tastes well. It is not nutritious, but it tastes well. Um, So imagine at this stage in 2019, Polish Prime Minister Morawiecki um, says, I quote, Today we build great bright houses a great and shining Poland on the foundations on the foundation of memory of millions of Poles who suffered and who rescued Jews during the cruel night of German occupation. Now if uh, you talk about millions of Poles to imagine how far down the lane of nonsense this discourse has evolved. You, don't, you need to look no further than the words of this right-wing politician who is a Polish prime minister. Millions of Poles who saved the Jews and historians who disagree with this statement face consequences, face legal consequences. Here we come to the illegal, uh, and, uh, not so legal and not-so-legal consequences. Um, as uh, most of you, or some if you remember, in January 2018, uh, the Polish authorities um, voted themselves something called Polish Holocaust Law. A Precise translation, let me look it up, would be changes to the law regarding the Institute of National Remembrance, about which I will tell you a few words in a little moment. And among many other things, this uh, new law, which has been, I must tell you, uh, voted uh, with the support or with uh, with the support of Polish opposition, which is very, very important, the so-called Dignity File, defense of the good name of our nation, is perhaps the last uh, area where Polish politicians come together. Autocrats together with democrats. It's quite a significant thing. So, um, so a law has been um, voted which um, threatened those who, I quote, slander the good name of the Polish nation and who blamed the Polish society, I quote, for crimes committed by the Nazi Third Reich with prison terms up to three for up to three years. Now, this bill raised extraordinary concern around the world. There were protests in Israel, in Western Europe. There was also fury in Washington. And actually, the Polish authorities were given were read riot act by Trump's people of all um, that if they won't do any, as long as that bill stands, they are not welcome in Washington. This apparently did uh, make make the difference, not the West European uh, opposition. So uh, under this tremendous pressure on June 27, 2018, after half a year later, uh, this fellow here uh, said in the parliament, I quote, well, we have to decriminalize, we have to remove the three years in prison uh, for historians and educators' provision. And he said, those who claim that the Polish nation or the Polish state bear responsibility for the crimes of World War II should, of course, be in prison. But we have to act bearing in mind international realities. And this is why we take them into account, end quote. Uh, Morawiecki further is, um, informed the Parliament that while withdrawing the criminal provisions, the Polish state gives itself the right to intervene in terms of civil litigation um, and uh, to punish the uh, through civil action uh, slanderers of the good name of the Polish nation and that uh, it would make very easy to file lawsuits against people who are, let's say, openly discussing the uh, issue of Polish complicity in the, uh, in the Holocaust. At the same time, on the same day, June 27, uh, Polish authorities, Polish government, signed a deal with Israeli government led at the time by Benjamin Netanyahu, and they said that, uh, they put this, this, this uneasy story behind them, they came to an agreement, and actually Israeli government recognized that antisemitism and anti-Polonism are two, let's say, ideologies which have to be combated. Now, placing at the same level antisemitism, and no doubt the most ancient uh, hate that humanity knows, without any interruption whatsoever, with something called anti-Polonism, which exists only in sick minds of Polish nationalists. It is an idea that there is a world conspiracy directed against Poland. To put this at par with anti-Semitism simply is a demonstration of how desperate was the Israeli government to have some allies inside the European Union. Nothing less, nothing, and nothing more. Uh, in Poland, throughout this time, the atmosphere, the um, the the energy the um, attack against the dependent historian of the, historians of the Holocaust uh, um, in, in, sorry, uh, increased. It was on the rise. Um, Jews were now being blamed officially for their own demise. What about Jewish police? What about Jewish councils? We were being taught. Uh, also, additional thing which added even more spice to all of this was the recognition by the Polish government of the um, virtue of the only Polish resistance unit, the only one, which withdrew together with the Nazis in the winter of 1944 to 45 to Germany. Now, why would you honor people like this? Because this unit, so-called Świętokrzyska Brigade, this was a unit which was so deeply anti-communist that it preferred to keep the let's say um, side of nazi germany now to have polish prime minister in 2019 lay flowers in munich during his visit on the graves of this uh, soldiers of that brigade tells you that the what anti-communism trumps anti-semitism and this is one more part of this uh, Reality Now, all of this is all sort of to give you this background uh, situation. Um, now, you can say in Russia things are worse. And you are right, they are worse. In Turkey they are much worse, yes. But here we are talking about a country which still is a member of the European Union and that... Uh, requires certain standards of moral evaluation which are higher than we uh, have in the case of regular totalitarian or autocratic uh, states. So this is the background in which, in 2018, um, in which um, the book that I uh, sort of uh, came to pitch here today as well, Night Without End in Polish Dalai is not, has been published right in the middle of this furor over Polish Holocaust law. Um, it was a result of uh, six years of hard work of uh, a team that I collected together, that we discussed together with my colleagues, um, nine historians, uh, um, some from Poland, some from abroad, um, and uh, this uh, book is two books, as you can see, 1,700 pages. By the way, I'm very happy to, to let you know that, uh, that uh, next year and before the summer it will be out in English, uh, by, published by Yad Vashem and Indiana University Press. Um, uh, so this book... Uh, basically, was uh, exploded sort of in the midst of this whole uh, tension. Um, uh, what we did is an exercise in microhistory. Um, I and uh, my co-editor and co-author wanted to look to go beyond words such as "some." Uh, sometimes, many, we wanted to uh, be able to quantify certain things. How many people did things, unspeakable things to Jews? Or how many Jews chose this and that kind of strategy of survival? We chose, in order to do it, we had to go, on a micro level, on the level of counties, which host nine counties of occupied Poland, going to the level of individual human trajectories. And uh, we shed light uh, without, let's say, being too modest. I can say that the book brought many unknown things to light. Among them was the question of so-called aktionen, liquidation actions, terrifying bloody affairs during which in during the liquidations, the Germans with their helpers uh, liquidated the ghettos in Poland, sometimes killing up to 50% of the Jews inside the ghetto prior to their dispatch to, this, uh, to the extermination sites. Uh, we were looking at the Jewish reactions. we were looking also at levels of complicity of, uh, of Polish um, uh, Polish population surrounding these events. Now, uh, we were talking about the German strategy. Now, from the point of view of the authorities, uh, it was clearly unacceptable. Um, And especially one of our findings, which was that a vast majority of Jews who fled the ghettos and later died died with direct or indirect participation of uh, their polish co-citizens now these things simply were taboo and still are taboo in the eyes of nationalists who control the situation this is something so uh, this is something un, uh, unacceptable um, a polish minister of science and education mind you called our book i am quoting in polish he said it is uh, Anti-Polski Schmatłowiec. It translates nicely into English Anti-Polish Nazi rag. Uh, This is the kind of level of uh, discourse you can find in the mouth of the Minister of uh, Education and Science in Poland today. So what happens is uh, a degree of verbal violence which was unprecedented in state media, state-controlled media, and one of these institutions, uh, Um, that I don't have too much time to discuss, but I have, uh, is the Institute of National Remembrance Pa Rodova, a very unique institution which is now geared weaponized by the Polish state to the tune of one hundred million nearly one hundred million British pounds per year um, in order to enforce uh, the, uh, the party line in matters uh, dealing with Polish history, hundreds of historians, mass production of historiography. Uh, ordered by the authorities, it is uh, this in European Union. I don't think there is anything that can come even close to it, and definitely not, no institution which would so deeply be devoted into distortion of the uh, of uh, the Holocaust. Mm, so what you have here is this evolution of an institution that was fairly right wing and has become has become a very radical uh, you see here for instance a portrait or a picture of the um, person dr greniuch uh, raising his right arm, this individual has been appointed to the directorial position in the Institute of National Remembrance in February of 2021. He was under, months again, the, once again the authorities learned that there will be protestations in the West, that there will be furor Uh, he was recalled after some time. Nevertheless, the fact that an individual with such a history can be appointed to one of the most important directorial positions in that institute tells you a uh, world about institutional culture, which allowed something like this uh, to happen. Now, there are many institutions involved in memory control or enforcement of, the, um, of this doctrine. One of them is Pilecki Institute, and their focus is to stress Polish heroism, to stress the righteous, to put more and more um, insistence on, uh, on, this, uh, on this event, to present that the default position of the Polish society during the war was rescuing the Jews, which, as every historian worth his or her salt knows, was simply not uh, not. Uh, not true. In the process, uh, what the Polish authorities uh, create is they want to create themselves new elites. So they have new judges, pseudo-judges. They have new journalists uh, who tow the party line, pseudo-journalists. And they also have new kind of historians, let's call them pseudo-historians. This is just a few of the images of people who are now receiving millions of zlotys, which is uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds, in order to, let's say, make their, imprint their mark on Polish social scene. Something quite extraordinary, I must say. In addition addition to to these uh, official state institutions, there is a number of so-called gongos. The gongo is a new term that I I learned recently. A gongo is government-organized NGO. In other words, those are NGOs which are proxies for the authorities, funded entirely or in part by the government. So on the left you see uh, an institute to of, to fight anti-Polonism, and I am glad to tell you that. Uh that I have been reported to the central prosecutor's office by that very institution a couple of months ago, uh, because I dared, as I say, to, as I said, uh, to state that uh, extermination camps were not for Poles, they were for Jews. Um, and on the right you have another organization called in Polish, the Redoubt of Defense of the, of the Good Name of the Polish." Nation, and here we come to uh, the book that I discussed with you, to the book that I and my colleagues uh, were now going to, um, let's say, um, to be confronted about. So one day in 2019, um, one year after its publication, we learned that uh, that one of these gongos um the readout of the defense of Good Name of Polish Nation, an organization uh, vastly supported by the Polish government, involved, uh, let's say, with certain ministries in Poland, um, arranged for a civil lawsuit to be filed against me and against my colleague, Professor Barbara Engel, co-editor and co-author of the book. Now, I don't want to get too technical, but this will be important. It goes beyond, of course, a lawsuit and uh, our or individual fates, which are not, uh, let's say, of much relevance for anyone other than ourselves. So the thing is that we were informed that there was a lawsuit against us because a lady in a remote village in eastern Poland found out that her uncle, a long deceased village mayor, has been maligned, slandered. That one, that my co author um, in her chapter um, uh, accused him of uh, denouncing Jews to the Germans, and then the Germans killed the Jews, and uh, while the um, the, the lady in her lawsuit stipulated. Her uncle actually was a hero and he saved the Jews. Now, uh, as we soon learned behind the scenes was the readout of the good name of the Polish nation. And, uh, this was an organization which funded the trial, the research. They went, they combed footnotes, and they thought they had a smoking gun, as their president said. Now, it was one thing with the, 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 the let's say, slander charged against the long-deceased the long village mayor from eastern Poland. But here we were accused, they quote, to have slandered the Polish nation on purpose and in a premeditated way. Once you talk these terms, the situation in Poland becomes serious. But even more troubling, the lawsuit uh, here said that that we violated people's right to national identity, a right to national dignity. Now, once in a court of law, you are confronted with these ill or undefined, legally uh, undefined terms, you know you have a problem. Now, in Polish jurisprudence, I don't want to bore you stiff with this, but it is important, so I have to stress it. In Polish civil procedure, you have, uh, as improbably in British common law, you have personal goods, such as, let's say, honour, which have to be protected, and there is nothing wrong with it. However, in Polish jur- um, jurisprudence, you can introduce... Uh, additional terms. If enough, many courts recognize that national pride and national dignity are also personal goods which need to be protected, then they will be protected. And that basically will mean, very quickly, an end of independent history of the Holocaust, because each and every person can interpret national identity or dignity or pride in a variety of ways. And there is nothing you can write which will not upset someone. So there is basically a gun or an axe raised above the heads of. uh, So this case was clearly meant here to uh, to fulfil the promise, fulfil the promise made in 2018 by Prime Minister Morawiecki. He said that the Polish state has now the means to go after the slanderers of the good name in the way of civil uh, of civil procedure. Now, the thing is that here the trial became very, uh, let's say, um, important, I would say, to each and every historian and more also spilling beyond the discipline of history. Uh, We were told that... uh, And this was a very important stage. There were different kinds of sources, many, many sources, which we based our accounts on. Now, in the case um, of uh, this particular village elder, my colleague decided that the essential testimony was a Jewish testimony from, um, um, from 1990s. Uh, however, there was also a court case from 1950s from Poland when the same, the same Jewish witness said something completely different. In other way, you had a 1950 document which is from Poland, in which Jewish survivors said, "This village mayor is innocent." And then you have her account from 1990 in which she says he was guilty. Now, the problem is that we as historians of the Holocaust know that uh, these documents from 1950, let's say, need to be approached very, very, let's say, prudently. Who were the Jews who were still left in Poland in 1950? after the Kielce Pogrom of 1946, the Jews who were still in Poland basically decided to throw in their lot with the majority society. The last thing the Jews would do would be to go to court and to accuse their Polish, let's say, co-citizens of crimes against other Jews. this Jewish uh, survivor—that's uh, what she said. She was under pressure. People were getting during that trial in that village killed and or wounded if they didn't want to defend their own. So at this stage, at this stage, um, the court came to its in February, so seven months ago, eight months ago, uh, the court reached a verdict <clears throat> on February 14, 2021, after a long two-year-long two-year-long trial. Uh, the, um, the court came to the decision that we, as historians, uh, I and my colleague, don't have to pay very high um, restitution, which was uh, which was asked for, but we have to apologize because, I quote here, um, we had um, we had slandered the good name of this person. Now, more importantly, the judge, in her wisdom, said that if a historian faces two contradictory um, testimonies, we cannot settle the issue. We are unable to pronounce ourselves. So as long as we have a survivor testimony and we have a document from Polish court, we cannot reach any conclusion. And this basically was one of the powerful blows against the value of Jewish survivor testimony. It was uh, was something quite extraordinary, I must tell you that uh, during the trial, two lawyers for the plaintiff tried to say, look, look at these Jewish testimonies. They change constantly their version. Here in 1945, the Jewish witness says one thing, and in 1946, she says something else. How can you trust someone who changes their line constantly? Well, unfortunately... If you were a Jew in Poland during the war, if you didn't constantly change your version, you were dead. Uh, And this simple fact seems to have been overlooked by the court. Now, I wanted to insert at this stage that um, my own name, Grabowski, is an Aryan name um, bought by my family, by my father in 1942 in Warsaw. And so it's not the question of tendency to lie, it's a tendency to survive. Um, but, this, but this attitude of casting doubt on Jewish testimony was something quite extraordinary, but more importantly, the Warsaw court said that, indeed, and I think I have to quote the sentence because it's important, it had a tremendous impact on, it could have had a tremendous impact, it might have still. Let me say, so in the verdict, Judge Jonczyk wrote, in the light of the above presented ideas and jurisprudence, we can assume that ascribing to Poles the crimes of the Holocaust committed by the Third Reich can be construed as hurtful and striking at the feeling of identity and national pride. The unprecedented historical events which constitute the legacy of the community and of its individual members and which are considered as factual beyond any discussion (coughs) cannot be made relative because it risks to strike against the feeling of national belonging and provokes feelings, feeling of harm. And so on and so forth, it... uh, it, went. it was the first time that you had Polish uh, innocence legislated. And um, if uh, this verdict stood on appeal, then, uh, then any kind of uh, historical research, independent critical historical research into the history of the Holocaust in Poland would have ended. Uh, and the chilling effect of this verdict, of course, was profound. Uh, now, uh, we, I and my colleague, we appealed and uh, we won on appeal. Uh, and I'm slowly now moving towards conclusion here, uh, so in the month that followed, we appealed. And uh, appellate court, the Court of Appeals in Warsaw in August, so three months ago, uh, <clears throat> sided with us. We were exonerated, the case was dismissed, thrown out of court. Now. It is a battle which we won, but the war is far from over. The problem is that for the nationalists, uh, the issue of national mythology, of national innocence, is at the heart of who they are. They are not going away. They are going to come back, of course. And there is no doubt also that this kind of attack on independent historians uh, will be perceived or has been perceived uh, uh, by uh, other autocratic uh, and not only autocratic regimes. Because instead of uh, putting historians or Holocaust educators in jail, you can just ruin them. You can ruin the reputations. It's much, more, it's much more tempting. By the way, this is, this is what happens. This is yours truly, and this is last year's cover page of a major pro-government weekly um, the level of hate associated with this, uh, with this kind of, uh, um, of attitude is just, uh, just uh, tremendous. So now, uh, in, <clears throat> in terms, or instead of conclusion, I would just uh, like to tell you that <clears throat> for many, many years, uh, we have been debating in conferences. Um, we have been... Oh, by the way, perhaps this one needs to add the after the appellate court judged in our fav- favor uh, the minister of justice um, extreme uh, nationalist uh, uh, mr Jobro wrote on twitter as you can see, uh, it is a judicial coup d'etat against justice itself, and I have been called a liar. Uh, <clears throat> not that I'm going to court, but otherwise I would, be, I would have no time to do any more research. So in terms of conclusion, um, uh, I would, uh, uh, I w- we have been debating in all these conferences and meetings what will happen to Jewish uh, or simply Holocaust survivor testimony once the generation of survivors passes away and we thought to ourselves we have the museums we have the displays we have the films we have everything well uh, i think that the lesson is that we should uh, not take anything for granted that the storm is brewing and actually we have to brace ourselves for things which will happen and thank you very much for your attention I'll start off with one of the questions from the online audience, uh, audience, which is a question about whether Roman Catholic priests are doing anything to mitigate. Uh, Well, uh, the position of the Polish Catholic Church is one of the major reasons of concern. Uh, The Polish Catholic Church, by and large, has aligned itself with the most uh, reactionary elements of Polish political life. Uh, However, it doesn't mean that there are no exceptions. There is, for instance, one priest, uh, Reverend Lemański, whom I appreciate very much, so there are shining lights in the darkness. Um, But by and large, the Polish Episcopate, the Congregation of Bishops, has been a loyal fellow traveller of the nationalists and a major they made their major contribution toward radicalization um, of the Polish nationalists. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know whether you'd be able to answer this. I'm a spy of the Budapest Ghetto and I follow what's happening in Hungary. I wondered whether you could comment on the situation in Hungary? Okay, well, <clears throat> I, I must say, I'm not a specialist in Hungarian problems, but uh, there, it's hard to, uh, not, not to be, not to be uh, uh, aware of it. Uh, I just happened to return two weeks ago from Budapest from a small meeting, and uh, I came to, uh, to appreciate uh, a monument in, in, in Budapest, which was a monument of horror. It's called Monument of the Victims of uh, World War II, I believe, or German occupation. You have a German eagle, huge menacing german eagle striking this innocent person of archangel gabriel uh, that symbolizes the uh, innocence of the hungarian people um, in terms of fallacy in terms of uh, fallacy uh, it happens in a country which uh, basically uh, sent its Jews half a million of them to death with minimal german uh, involvement 200000 hungarian officials of various ranks have been involved in the shipment of, uh, uh, without any physical German presence, of shipment of uh, 440,000 Hungarian Jews to the gas chambers of uh, Auschwitz. Uh, so this, uh, this monument is actually symbolizes this drive to defend historical innocence of the Hungarian people. As I mentioned, what I discussed in the case of Poland um, has its... Uh, uh, it echoes elsewhere. So if that answers your question. Yes, thank you. Uh, your lecture is very interesting. May I just ask this, that uh, even, in West, even in the West, there have been uh, anti-Semitism for quite a long time. And for example, the, the, Catholic, the French Catholic Church have uh, protected a lot of Nazis and there, has been, there have been quite a lot of films about this. Now, does that mean that in fact there's denial of... Uh, I mean, because you, you referred to the denial the legal system of Poland, which refers to the denial of Polish identity. Is it any different to other countries where this has happened? And I'm, I'm highlighting France, please. Right, um, so if uh, to answer this question, is first of all, the French, despite very many misgivings, have done tremendous memorial work since 1980-something. It might have happened under the influence of my colleague Michael Morris, who was from Canada, but uh, the French since then have done a lot in order to understand that not every single French woman and man have been members of patriotic resistance. Um, and I believe that the message, actually, together with Declaration of Chirac of 1995, um, percolated, and this uh, has been done. So I, <clears throat> I don't believe that today French state, and I stress the word state, would be involved in massive uh, um, uh, this distortion of the Holocaust the way the Polish authorities are. So <clears throat> for me, the fundamental difference is the state agent, because once we are talking about the powerful resources of the state, uh, we are elevating the discussion to a much more menacing level. But you are right. The French church for many, many, many years and decades was in the forefront also of this uh, sort of denial of French uh, uh, complicity. True. Now, a number of people online want to know how the Polish people have reacted to the government's attack on Holocaust historians. Well, on the one hand, uh, I and my colleagues received a very, very wonderful support from the intelligentsia, um, from from learned from learned circles. Um, so that was indeed very encouraging. Uh, on the other hand, on the other hand, you can say that uh, um, there is actually a slide I thought I wouldn't have to show, but I guess I will have to show it after all. Um, uh, this one. Actually, asked uh, in terms of general population, um, the question was uh, Would you um, be in favor of placing, uh, of charging historians who uh, write about Polish complicity uh, in uh, the Holocaust? And as you can see, some 40% said yes. And they were not asked uh, to charge historians who lie they were asked about historians who write about complicity. So if you have 40% of people who would like to place innocent people in front of a tribunal, and you have 11% who are not exactly certain, it means that we are facing a huge problem. Uh, I'm just wondering, what, what, what kind of processes are going on, do you think, where on one hand the seems to the nationalists attempting to preserve a view of defending Jews during the Holocaust? and yet this is a rising tide of anti-Semitism and pro-na- pro-Nazi feelings that seem to be contradicting, I suspect, the feeling of each other. That's well, the, the, yeah, it's a good question. The, the thing is that in this drive to celebrate people who poles who saved Jews, the Jews are not important. Uh, polls are important. Um, uh, this is, you are not celebrating the, the, the fact that uh, Jews were saved. You are celebrating your own virtue. Um, so this, um, uh, I mentioned to um, in a few of my publications. I said the only way, if you want to be true uh, true um, uh, in terms of history, if you want to celebrate Poles who uh, devoted their lives or welfare to preserving the Jews, which is a very noble thing, at the same time, please devote a moment of time to celebrate uh, to honor. Jews who, exactly at the same location, have been betrayed and murdered by their Polish uh, co-citizens, or neighbors, Um, and somehow it didn't catch on, I must say. Um, But my offer is on the table. So the problem is that this something I call the righteous defense is not um, not to, let's say, commemorate the Jews, it's only to increase your sense of national pride, which feeds into into this uh, nationalistic project. And unfortunately, what you can see that people who are on extreme right are today the first people to celebrate Polish uh, righteous Gentiles, if it answers your question. Uh, Professor Grabowski, we thank you very much for delivering the second Wiener Holocaust Memorial Lecture. It was um, a chilling, but very important evening, and we would like to thank you very much for it.